Ah, welcome, my friends. Welcome, my friends, to the theater. Perhaps you're expecting to see a uh, certain picture that you bought a ticket for. However, life is full of surprises, and we always ask you to expect the unexpected. Welcome to Fishing Without Bait, a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we ask you to take step back and take a good look at your life and then explode through it with full impact mindfulness. <laughs> And if you have the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try, we're all, there's always a seat here. There's always a place for you. Welcome, my friends. And we continue our conversation with the intriguing and resilient Brian Crawford. So this is something I know that you've nurtured. You've, you've nurtured and you've grown it. Yeah, yeah, we have. And we've, uh, we've done a lot. We had a huge uh, website remodel since we first launched. Uh, that was a big deal. Uh, we expanded our directory some. We uh, expanded our affiliates a, a decent amount. So yeah, we have we have done a lot. Um, the new membership initiative that's really going to be our next big step, and that'll help free me up uh, to do more of what I want to do with, with creating content and stuff like that. So most people sound wow, that's great, Brian. But I'm not in the position that you are. I don't have all this technical skill. I don't have all these connections that uh, you have. You know, most year, most people, I've heard an interview once and they said, how does it feel to be an overnight success? And the person said, <laughs> yeah, I'm a 20-year overnight success. Yeah. Um, the thing is, is you, you don't have to have a lot of resources. You know, when I first started the River's Edge, I was only making $12 an hour. Um, and we started in like a closet in the attic. Um, I love that story. Yeah. So, I mean, you don't have to... You don't have to have a lot of resources. You just have to do it. And, and as far as meeting people, here's one of like here's a pet peeve of mine. You always hear these people, the like they're they're kind of grouchy, and they're people who like stay in their house and then they like to criticize and and they'll say, "Oh, it's not right. You shouldn't get anywhere because you know someone. It should only be about the talent." And I I think it should be a balance. And the reason why I say that is. If you're not out there talking about yourself, it doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, you've got a rich dad. Who's, now, that's a different story. But I didn't have any connections in the music scene when I first moved to Pittsburgh. I went out and I talked to people. I didn't have any connections in the museum scene when I started this project. I went out and talked to people. And that's what it is. You just have to go out and be there. Um, and, and people say, oh, well, well, I might not be as outgoing as you. And I said, that's fine. I knew uh, at an open mic there was somebody who wasn't, he was kind of shy. They showed up every single mic for months and months, and eventually people were like, who's this person? And they started talking to them. So you just have to be in the environment, and you have to, to take a chance on yourself, and you just make those connections if, if you're passionate about what you're doing, and you talk about... I keep hearing that word, passion. Yeah. So if you don't ask, the answer is always no. Exactly. That's another thing, too. I mean, I've had... People would tell me, like, oh, how do you get these guests on your show? And I said, I asked them. That's it. You just have to ask, and... uh don't be afraid to ask. And I mean, we have, so for PGH Museums, we have a, a really great and talented attorney on the board of directors. And he was telling me how he likes to do, he did all this pro bono work. He, they were required to do a certain amount yes. with his law firm. And I said, oh, really? I said, why don't you do some pro bono work for us? <laughs> I said, I'll put you on the board of directors. And he said, that doesn't mean anything to me. I'm on a million boards. And I said, well, be on one more. <laughs> And he did. So, um, 
yeah, you just have to ask people and people are, are people want to help, you know, they want to help other people. And again, you have to be afraid not to fail. It's, it's not the falling. That's the problem. It's staying there. That's the real issue. Mm-hmm. When you fall and you don't get back up, you just lay there. So you've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. And uh, like Thomas says, Thomas Edison said, uh, I've never failed. I've just found a thousand things that didn't work. Yeah. So do you use it? Then it depends on your perspective. Ever, I believe everything in life's a matter of perspective. And <clears throat> the only thing that people actually have control over, Brian, is how they react to people, places, things, and situations. So I'm sure that you've uh, felt some bitter disappointment at times. Mm-hmm. Sure. And so how did you get yourself able to move forward again? Just continuing, like, that desperation to do something. Um, you know, I had some issues when I was in college, and that didn't go the way I had planned, and... I was pretty, you know, depressed about that, and I just uh, eventually ended up running for council. But it's just like I just, it's a desperation to to matter. I don't know. Like I feel like it's important to just do something. Like, I don't want to just sit at home and and not be in the world. So that's that's a choice, and that's that's a passion. So I'm sure that you've seen gazelles on the. Plains of Serengeti in Africa, mm-hmm. magnificent animals, many of them that can run very fast. However, they usually don't run unless they're threatened or pushed. And when that push or that uh, momentum isn't there anymore, they're not being threatened, uh, they stop. Okay? But if you'll notice, a lion gets up every morning and it runs from passion. It doesn't need pushed. And here... You have that passion. How long have you had this type of passion, Brian? Um, I've always had that, but I will say I'm kind of like if a lion mated with a gazelle. <laughs> that's where I'm at because I've got a <laughs> I'm like some sort of mutant hybrid because I uh, I have a lot of passion, but then like when it comes to the particulars, mm. I don't do anything until I'm at like till I'm cornered and then I get it done. <laughs> so like, yeah, I start okay. things, but then it's like, like I'll start the museum project, but then like, like here's a good example. I did this, this video on the, uh, the Pittsburgh crash and it was like probably one of my better videos that I've done. And, uh, are you familiar with the crash? I am not. Okay. It's this giant, it's like, I think it's like four stories tall or whatever. It's a giant nativity scene mm-hmm. outside of USX tower. It's like, tens of thousands of, of t- it's like it's, it's really heavy really big uh it's life-size life-size people in there it's the only sanctioned replica of the crash at the vatican uh, at one point and um it's a huge icon a, a huge thing in pittsburgh people come to see it from all over and i did this great i got to do a documentary on ah. this thing it was really cool and um i one day i set aside three days off work to do nothing but work on this video and get it done. I didn't touch it once the entire three days. And uh-huh. it wasn't until the day before that I'm cramming to get it done. So that's how I am. I, I can't force myself to do anything unless I'm under the gun. But other things I get started right away. It's like this weird hybrid. But I've always been that way. I think it started started when I was young. Um, I, I was in Boy Scouts and... Um, 
I had like kind of an unusual route, I guess. I was uh, in Cub Scouts and I just, the Cub Scout pack was not like, the, it, it was one of those things where the parents just did everything and they gave you badges and I just didn't really get along with any of them. So I probably would have not continued into Boy Scouts, but two of my uncles were Eagle Scouts uh-huh. and I ended up going to that troop, but I was the only one. So I was kind of like, I guess like the runt because everybody else came with their packs. Usually you go where your pack goes. I did not. So I was the only one. I didn't know anybody there and it wasn't. And one thing my dad did that was great is he, he did not get that involved until I got a little bit older because he wanted me to be able to make decisions on my own, especially when I ended up running the troop. And that's kind of funny too. Cause I, I ran for senior patrol leader, which is like the CEO of a boy scout troop and our okay. troop, let me tell you, it wasn't like some of these troops, and I'm not knocking them. It, the reality is most troops have like a handful of people. Our troop had like 70 kids. Nah. So it was like a whole operation. And I ran for senior patrol leader, and I lost by one vote. Mm. It was my vote. Because I realized I wasn't ready to do it. I was kind of panicky. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I voted against myself, and I lost by one vote. And then I ran again the next time it was up. And I did feel confident and ready, and I won by one vote, and that was my vote. Uh, but That's quite there, a story. Yeah, I learned there, because there were so many people, I learned how to run an organization. Um, because I was managing 70 people, and that was every week for you know the entire year, and that also included camping trips, and, and you, know, you really learned how to delegate. And because you know, a lot of times people, you know, their parents were too involved and they would be standing over their shoulder telling them what to say and what to do. Because I didn't have that, I had the opportunity to learn how to manage people and how to deal with people. Uh, and that kind of kind of laid the building blocks to allow me to do other things I had done since then. Um, I think my, my first big project that outside of scouting, like the first project that I started was the uh, California University Relay for Life and uh i started that that would have been i don't even know how long ago it was it was when i was in college but it still goes on every year um and that's a 24-hour fundraiser for the american cancer society how old were you the first time when you ran for patrol leader well i i have no idea i'm really terrible with like dates and times Mm. i would have to like sit here for like 15 minutes and count. i think that's uh (laughs) that's an incredible level of maturity an emotional mind choice if someone ran for a patrol leader, you assume they would vote for themselves. And however, you used to made a wide mind, wise mind choice, step back and take a look at this situation and said, I'm not ready to do this. And you didn't vote for yourself. Wow. That's, that's quite a thought. That's amazing. That's what a wise mind choice that is. I'm quite impressed. Yeah. Thank you. I uh, I had learned a lot doing it. Um, there was one kid who was always trouble. Um, very a lot of energy and just like always getting into mischief. So I put him in charge of teaching kids how to make ropes one day when he was in trouble, and then he wasn't a problem anymore. So you know you learn how to to deal with people and, and things like that and mm. in an interesting way. Um, so yeah, it was a okay. Neat experience. So you developed these educational skills. Mm-hmm. And these these motivational skills and these organizational skills at an earlier age. So you relied on your experience. You just didn't say, "Hey, who wants to be in charge?" Well, I will. So you well, that's that's I'm quite impressed. 
when I was younger, when I got older, I always started everything. So I always was, you know, had my hands on, on things. Well, you had the experience to be able to do that. Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's so from the Boy Scouts and you went to, uh, California, University, yeah, California of PA? University of PA. Okay. And you started the Relay to Life. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, well, my mom, uh, survived cancer when I was in high school. And uh, that was a pretty wild time. And I had joined the uh, Norwin Relay for Life. Actually, this is a funny story. I joined the Norwin Relay for Life, and they always it was a very well-run relay. And it was on AstroTurf, uh, where, where people put their tents and stuff. So they had no tent stakes, and they, they provided tents for all of the relayers. And because that was my experience, I, I started the Cal U Relay for Life. And I basically wanted to do it. And I, I got a lot of flack, but I just kept pushing. Um, I originally went to the athletic director. And um, I think they referred me to the president's office. And they the president's office told me to speak to one administrator. And he was like, well, don't do the games and the fundraising. Just do the walk. I said, well, that, that defeats the point. The whole point is it's a fundraiser for cancer. So I kind of just ignored him and went back to the president and the president was real supportive. And not only did he pretty much give me everything I wanted, he actually made it a requirement for all of the fraternities and sororities to do it if they wanted to win this award at the end of the uh -huh. year. So we had a big buy-in the first year from uh, the Greek organizations because of the president it ended up being a, a bigger success than it probably would have otherwise. So I was glad that he got involved but, um, but what's funny is that first year, because I did things like Norwin did it, because that was my experience, they lent me all of their tents. Ah. And I didn't think about it, but there were no tent stakes. They, they threw away all the tent stakes. So the next day, overnight, there was this huge windstorm, and all these tents are like flying all over, <laughs> all over the baseball field. And we were in a baseball field that year. Um, but it was cool. We only had... The first year, I think we had four survivors for the survivor's lap, which is not a lot, but it was kind of like a special thing, you know, for them. Um, yeah, and it was cool. And then the second year, I ran it, and then, uh, then, I, then you know, eventually I moved on. But, um, yeah, we a lot of interesting, you know, memories there with that. Um, I know the second year, I had this idea to move the relay out of the university and put it into the community. And my thought process was nobody who goes to Cal U has any money. That's why they're at Cal U. So if you bring it into the community, all those people got jobs. They can then fundraise and raise more money for the Cancer Society. And it was successful. We got a huge team from the community that was involved. And also, there was a, there was a lot of, I don't know if there still is, but there was a lot of bad blood between the community and the, the, the university. Hmm. So that was another part of my objective was I thought I could maybe help bridge that gap and the mayor of the town was a, an alumni of Cal U, and he uh, worked with us to get the park. Well, I guess he told the park people uh, to change the setting on the lights, and they forgot. So we're there in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, boom, all of the lighting is gone in the entire park. Uh, but I don't know. Have you ever been to a Relay for Life? I have not. Okay, so in the Relay for Life, there's this luminary ceremony where you spell out hope in luminary candles and people buy luminary candles in either in memory of someone or in honor of someone. And then they read every single name okay. uh, in a ceremony. Well, we had, I had bought 
because I was trying to save the money and Kmart had this huge deal. I worked there on, on luminaries after Christmas. So I bought like thousands of luminary candles. So we had more than enough. So we just started lighting luminary candles like crazy. And the entire park was literally only lit by candles. Wow. So that was kind of a cool. That's quite a story. Experience. Yeah. It was, uh, it was neat. It was, uh, it was a neat time. It was, uh, we ended up, me and, and another person, we ended up on the uh, Wall of Fame for the Cancer Society in Washington County, hmm. which is pretty cool. Hmm. That's resilient, eh? You pushed ahead. That's, that's, and it was all for, uh, it seems like you're always pushing forward to help other people, Brian. Not always. Uh, well, <laughs> not always. You were thinking about always. always pushing ahead and not giving up. Uh, recently, the other day, so my friend, he, uh, I convinced him to go to Mount Davis with me, which is the tallest mountain in Pennsylvania. And here's an example of me uh, not giving up for my own. I don't give up on, on things easily in general. And we drove down there. It's, it's two hours down. It's past Nemecolon and Uniontown and all of that. So we drive down there, and he's got an anxiety disorder. And we get to the top of the mountain, and I go take a, a pee in the outhouse. And I come out, and he's got this blood oxygen thing on his finger and he tests him he's 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 upset because his blood oxygen is low and i tried to calm him down and he's like having a panic attack so i was so i drove him home we didn't speak the whole way back i wasn't yelling at him because i knew it was a medical thing but i was so angry because i just drove four hours for no reason nah. so as soon as we get here as soon as he walks out of the car i floored and i drove two ah. hours back to go onto the top of that mountain nah. and walk around so, you know, usually when I decide to do something, I don't let things change my plans. Um, I, I went to Toronto. I had, plan, I had a plan to go to Toronto uh, once, and my friend was going to go with me. And like a few days before, he said, oh, you know what? I didn't check. My passport's expired. He said, maybe we can just go to the U.S. side of Niagara Falls. And I said, you know what? I'll see you when I get back. <laughs> I drove to Toronto. Like once I decide to do something... I, I don't let all, you know barriers get in my way unless it was like something like like somebody was injured or something you know. Well, it sounds like determination is quite a integral part of your character, Brian. Well, yeah, I, possibly I think that's it. And possibly, also, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's part of it. Yeah, I think you're quite a determined fellow. You'd have to. <laughs> you haven't said nothing to convince me otherwise. Mm. Absolutely. Do you ever think of yourself as determined? Um, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's determination. Sometimes I think it's just like, you know, I want things to go a certain way and there's an element of frustration if it doesn't go the right way. Like if I try to do something and it keeps, like sometimes it's like, you know, I'll try to do something and, and it doesn't work right and I'll just keep hammering it through until it goes the way I want it instead of like, stepping away and taking a breather, you know what I mean? And, or trying it a different way. Um, so sometimes it's maybe not the best thing, but I think often it is, it is a good thing. Well, determination and when we uh, can differentiate and ask oneself, am I being willing or am I being willful? Mm -hmm. So willful involves your way has to be it and you actually have the blinders on. And what's weird is I'm not that way with big things. Well, not always. Uh, it's a mixture with big things with, with little things. I am that way. If it's something like, 
stupid and small that like shouldn't matter, I'll get frustrated and I'll like, you know, push through. If it's a bigger thing, like I, I think anybody who has worked with me would agree that I'm very open-minded to other people's suggestions and I'm willing to either be convinced away from my point of view or um, if I give somebody, um, I, I, I believe in empowering people. So if I, like if I'm in an organization um, and I empower somebody to take charge of a task, even if I disagree, I've given that person that um, that part of the, of the pie and I will defer to them in a lot of ways, unless it's something I am really philosophically against. Um, when it comes to a show, I'm a little more rigid where it's like, it's gotta be my way. And, you know, you know, when I did a live show, I'm a lot, I'm a lot more mellow now that I'm doing everything pre-recorded. But when I was doing a live show and, you know, people weren't there on time, I, they would be, I don't care if they were my guest, I was on them, you know, where are you? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have, you have expectations, do you not? Yes. Okay. I do. So you're asking so quite often when i deal with my own patients brian what i'll say i do my i'll do my part however i expect you to do yours Mm -hmm. to buy the ticket i don't think that's unreasonable no yeah oh i agree i don't think it's unreasonable but uh you know people would try to back out on me on the last minute i'd be like you're really screwing us over and then they'd feel guilty and come in (laughs) (laughs) It's always a pleasure to explore intriguing concepts with our guest, Brian Crawford. And, however, we offer a free prescription at the end of every podcast. Fruits, nuts, and vegetables, and unplug your television, and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. And do a kindness for yourself. Do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another till all are free none are free namaste my friends please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com where you can listen to the show comment on our discussions and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast if you're interested in flying the colors of fishing without bait click the shop icon on our website we have clothing mugs cell phone cases and so much more show the world that you fish without bait This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.